have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Hey, 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 everyone. Jen Silverman here, former guest on the I Know You Hear Me podcast, a.k.a. Flynn's annoying little improv sister, jsilf underscore vo on Twitter, jensilf underscore vo on Instagram, or my cosplay page at captain underscore all underscore m-a-i-g-h-t. And now let's get into it. The man you really want to hear, or do you, before he suplexes me, here's the man of the hour, Flynn Hendricks. Howdy folks, this is Willard Wingnut, and I'm sure we've all heard the same expression, a woman works from sun till sun, but a voiceover works from noon till one. And I thought, hey, I want to be one of them. So I decided to get some lessons in voice acting. And of course, what I did was looked up the best voiceover coach I could possibly find, which was Alicia Bowman. So basically, this is what I sounded like six months ago. But today, I sound like this. I begin every sentence with, in a world. In a world where there were a million mediocre voiceover coaches, where they were like lukewarm roller dogs at 7-Eleven. There was one that stood out head and shoulders above the rest, the one and only Elise Bowman. And she can coach you too. Go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. And you can become a voiceover, too. Now back to my regular voice. That's right. She's like magic, so check her out. And if you have half as much fun as she does, well, she'll have twice as much fun as you. Welcome back, everybody, to another awesome episode of the I Know You Hear Me podcast with me, Flynn Hendricks, and the savior of the day, the lifesaver extraordinaire himself over here working his engineering wizardry, just Jeff. This guy came through at the last minute when my technical side of things did not want to cooperate on a solo endeavor. So who shows up to save the day? Just Jeff over here. So he's flexing his muscles off camera, off audio. You guys can't see it, but you get what's going on here. But again, man, this guy keeps the show afloat, not only for this podcast, but for our other podcast tales from the haunt as well. So Jeff, thank you for that. But guys, before we go any further, of course, this is the part where I'm going to encourage you to go find this podcast and Tales from the Haunt on your preferred podcasting platform. If you like what I'm doing over here, if you like what me and Jeff are doing, leave us a five-star or a written review if you think we've earned it. Share it with your family, share it with your friends, just share it with the world, and then go connect with us on social media and help get the word out there on that. And if you haven't already yet, did you know that we have shirts available? 
Not only do I have a Pro Wrestling Tees store available, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Hendricks, but we also have them available to ship directly to you. You can inbox us on one of our social media platforms or contact us via email. All the information is going to be in the show notes as well, and everything goes to help this podcast. But now we're going to take a quick pause for a word from the Give Me Back My Podcast Network. Just how drunk are we going to get? Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Kill more crates. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f that up. <laughs> Try that again. As we drag Kathleen. Hear me. Kicking and screaming through an alcohol fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. And we're back. All right, guys, today is going to be an awesome nerd out session because I found a kindred spirit that we're going to have a chat with today. He's not only a fellow podcaster, but he's also a fellow Dragon Ball fanatic like myself. If you haven't picked up on that yet, for the love of God, go back in the archives, listen to some of my interviews with previous guests on the show, listen to my nerdy confessions. I make no shame and no bones about hiding that. But I think this guy's kind of right up my alley and probably on the same page with me on that. But without further ado, it's my pleasure to have on Kyle from the Dragon Ball Super Dope Podcast. Kyle, dude, thanks for being patient through everything and coming on here tonight. Flynn, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate you having me on, asking me to be a part of things tonight. Of and, uh, you know, technical difficulties, let's be real. They're part of the gig, man. Like That's it. Poc- you know, kindred spirits, podcasters also. Like, yep. it happens. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. And, man, like... Thankfully, through the world of social media, man, we got connected. I found out what you were doing. I, I listened to the podcast. Uh, man, and we're going to have links to that if you guys are also Dragon Ball fans and want to check out what Kyle's doing. So make sure you check the show notes in this, you know, whatever your platform is. It's going to be there. His podcast is going to be there, too, and I can't recommend it enough. But I'm jumping the gun here a little bit, dude. So let's uh let's back it up and talk more about you, man. What got you not only into the world of Dragon Ball, but also into the world of podcasting? And, you know, like, how did that all start for you? Dragon Ball has been a lifelong love for me, just about. So uh, I'm 32, soon to be 33. I accidentally woke up very early one morning uh, and stumbled onto a random episode of the original Dragon Ball. Uh, I was probably like six or seven. So it was probably about 1996, 1997, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Uh, and it was like a local UPN affiliate. It was a episode somewhere around like 12 or 13 is when they finally summoned the dragon. Oh, nice. He nice. Longs, he like hops up and he's like, I want a pair of comfortable underwears. And I'm like, <laughs> what's up? This is a talking pig. I just watched a, a giant gorilla a monkey man, like crush a castle and Absolutely, then turn into a small yeah. boy. Uh, I was just fascinated. Like there was a dragon granting wishes. You know, even if the wish was a ridiculous thing, like comfortable underwear. Right, right. And I was just fascinated. So, like, every day I'd try to wake up early and go find that show again. And uh, I bumped into it occasionally. But uh, unfortunately, or original Dragon Ball didn't catch on so mm-hmm. well in 
America back in the day. So they like fast forwarded to Z. Yeah. Uh, and it eventually went to the tsunami block. And that's really when it caught fire. So yep. uh, all of that was very uh, important to me. But somewhere in the meantime, I have like a fairly young father uh, who also is a, a nerd. He and his best friend, my uncle Julius, uh, they are into Dragon Ball Z as well. So nice, nice. my uncle Julius lived in New York City like uh, nine, ten months out of the year. So when he'd come back, he would uh, bring back this big duffel bag full of uh, Japanese bootlegs of Dragon Ball Z episodes oh, nice. that had already aired in Japan, but didn't make their way to America for like another two or three years. Yeah. So I became obsessed with that, learned how to read subtitles really fast. Mm-hmm. I was the cool Dragon Ball fan in elementary school. And uh it's just always been a love of mine for from that man. Absolutely. And, uh, when Dragon Ball, they re-release or they excuse me, they did Kai. I didn't really care for Kai because it cuts out all the filler and yeah, ridiculous filler is like some of my favorite stuff. No matter how bad it is, it's the best stuff <laughs> to laugh at sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, it's so much of the identity of Dragon Ball. But they they did Battle of Gods in the movies, mm-hmm. Revival of Frieza in the movies. They brought back the series, and. Uh, I'd always been interested in podcasting or I shouldn't say always that's because podcasting has been around for a very long time. I I got interested in podcasting as a medium consuming them in like 2015, 2016, uh, which would have been, I don't know, I guess around the time of the start of Dragon Ball Super, the weekly week to week series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Didn't act on it or anything, but I soon developed a text chain with several of my friends talking about episodes week to week. And uh, I'd gotten a decent job at that point in time. So I just took some extra money, got some microphones, got the the software set up and all, all that stuff and just taught myself to podcast uh, nice. about Dragon Ball and or, or, or with Dragon Ball as the subject, I should say. And uh, we caught a little bit of an audience because Dragon Ball Superman, uh, it's, it's a very unique point in Dragon Ball history. Yes. I don't think enough people appreciate to this point. And they probably will in retrospect, but uh, the thing people I don't think uh, realize about it is this is one of the unprecedented times in Dragon Ball where there's no comic book preceding what we're seeing on television. Absolutely. So genuinely, each week, week to week, it's a cliffhanger. Like, you're not sure what's going to happen next. Never mind when we kicked it off. We started off in the Tournament of Power around episode 102 or whatever. And what sucked man what sucked so badly was that they give us the tournament of power and they give us all these new universes all these new characters yeah. and i'm like this is a sign they're gonna run this show for like 700 episodes right. this is gonna be such a like they could they could go so many different places and then i don't know six eight weeks later they're like hey by the way we're taking a break and i've been on that break for five years now yeah oh <laughs> man I, almost five years <laughs> i know it all too well then you know you get the teases with the new broly movie which we'll come back to that here in just a moment because i have some questions for you about that but Uh-oh. you know then we start getting the new mangas in and which those stories and hearing you break them down on your podcast i absolutely love because it's kind of you know you. doing the retcon of a lot of the story that we've all kind of grown up with and adding new layers and adding new character developments for somebody like a Bardock that doesn't get a lot of on-screen attention. And it's it's some cool stuff, but like you said, it's so unprecedented. And Jeff, I'm ashamed of you because you haven't heard any Dragon Ball, but you still save the day so you get the pass. But um, you know, it's Thank it's, you, Jeff. It's such a, a fun time because I remember 
when I found like Dragon Ball Super, when it was, you know, you had to find it online to watch the Japanese release because hadn't hit America yet. I found the first episode while we were in the hospital and my wife was being induced for labor for our oldest son to be born. So like, it's kind of just grown up with him and then he's gotten into it too. So it's, it's one of those things, like you said, like it's so diverse among the fans now because you see everything online. But I think, you know, like Star Wars, if that's taught us anything, people are going to look back on it with a much fonder appreciation the further we get, you know, like into our lives and we can look back on it in hindsight too. I get that. I was actually just talking about Star Wars the other day and celeb- I think I produce a number of podcasts. Like this is one thing that learning how to podcast uh, about mm-hmm. Dragon Ball has been very beneficial in my life. I help a bunch of businesses run podcasts, but I have an episode going out for a show that I run next week specifically about Star Wars collectibles. Oh, and the idea or the subject, I should say, of the prequels came up. And I was, he's like uh, this kid, Travis, right? Uh, he's a wonderkin. He's an expert appraiser on Antiques Roadshow. Mm-hmm. He's one of my really good friends. He like made his bones like trans- uh, Transformers collect- collection flipping oh, nice. and comic book flipping. And now he sells like, you know, the most. I walk in their warehouse, man, and I see like the rarest, most expensive comic books you could want to ever see in your wow. life. And they're just like, yeah, just another day for us. This is what we handle every, all, all day, every day. But man, he's like seven or eight years younger than me. So he would have been about five or six when the prequels came out. Phantom yeah. Menace. And we were talking about it. And I'm like, man, I was like 12, 11, somewhere in there. And I, I guess I would have been about 10, maybe. But whatever, it doesn't matter. My point is when I watched them in theaters, I remember hating them because it was different and it was goofy and it was all CGI and it, mm-hmm. it it was just so not the things that I loved about the OG trilogy. Yeah. But looking back now, 20 years later, and I'm sure meme culture sort of in, uh, yeah. like, you know, kind of influences my thought process here. Cause I'm, how could you not be fond of like the prequel memes, man? Yeah. They're so funny. Or what we're going to be blessed with the new Obi-Wan series coming out with all the new Obi-Wan memes that we're going to get, you know, it's like, can't wait. thank you. Thank you. Meme Lords, whoever you may be for real. But uh, I feel like those things have aged. Uh, the, the prequels have aged like a fine wine in that, those stories were a little more complicated than we gave them. Or, I don't know, I guess back then we probably uh, disliked them for being so complicated mm-hmm. and, like, politically focused. Yes. And just, like, get to the pew-pews and the lightsabers, man. Exactly. But but now it's like, wow, George Lucas, 20 years ahead of the curve. Like, this is what everyone's doing in their stuff. The government's evil. Jeez Louise, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that the uh, the friendly politician was really evil behind closed doors who would have guessed you know with a chin like that come on i knew he was bound to be an emperor legendary legendary and for real man it's and we could go off onto a completely different tangent on that because like star wars and dragon ball have kind of fought for supremacy over who controls my my addiction my wallet and everything like those are are my top two right there but what they fight what they battle it out for for me in my head is which of the two uh yeah, which of the two has like the worst fandoms? Oh, because yes, there are some terrible Star Wars fans in the world, and, man, and there are some awful Dragon Ball fans. And in the that world. was that was actually something that I wanted to bring up in our conversation here. But since it's here, let's uh, let's just go sure. ahead and talk about that. I mean, especially to 
I'm I'm from the age, and we're the same age actually, which blows my mind because I didn't know that coming in. But eighty nine represent. That's it. That's it. About Hell to be yeah. thirty three here in a couple months. So me too. June baby. Oh, right here, June thirtieth. Man, we're learning new June things. June third. Oh, dude. So you got me beat by about a month, but we are right there together. That is awesome. Cool, man. But yeah, like you said, you know, like I we grew up in the same time, and I'm from the age where. When I got into Dragon Ball, it wasn't the cool, popular thing to like. But, you know, as we've grown older, it's become a cool thing that everybody references. It's in pop culture now. Same with Star Wars, even. But now that social media has become a thing, it seems like anybody with an opinion, whether they've watched it, whether they don't even watch one episode, whatever it may be, they throw that negative opinion out there, and people bite on it because they feed off that negativity. What is it mean for you especially like when you're putting this content out there as a fan and as somebody that's grown up with it what does it mean for you like do you have any trepidation with these negative reviews that may come in from somebody that's just out there to be a troll or how do you how do you process that and how do you rationalize and explain that i love this question lynn so sometimes i can actually come across as that troll so especially like the last several months of the Dragon Ball Super manga, mm-hmm. been some real bad stuff that I'm not a fan of. It's been very action heavy, not too much narrative driven stuff. Right. And this most recent chapter they gave us, they gave us like six months worth of narrative and like progression in several different yeah. storylines all at once. Like it punched me in the face over and over again. And I enjoyed the hell out of the chapter, but realistically it, should, it would have been more uh, satisfying story had they, parsed out those beats a little bit better throughout those six months so with all that being said as my like preamble sometimes i get real negative man i get real negative and i've had people in the past approach me i'm much more mindful of it now my first year doing super dope because i didn't think anybody would ever really listen to me or anything Uh and or, or like never mind give my opinion any weight but uh a few of the early reviews or comments were just like Quit whining, just enjoy it. It's a cartoon. What are you bitching about? You know, shut the fuck up. (laughs) And, you know, a part of me was like, yeah, maybe I am kind of being a little bit too negative Nancy. And I think I was still trying to find my voice or like my footing as a podcaster or whatever. And thankfully that didn't end up being what it was. I think I'm a little bit more, or I'd like to think I'm a little bit more uh, objective now. Objective, subjective. Uh I always confuse them. It doesn't (laughs) matter. Uh, Back in the day, though, I kind of would be one of those fans who would throw the opinion in and just be like, you know, bitch to bitch sometimes. Yeah. Uh, But with I don't know, man, I feel like I'm in kind I have kind of a unique perspective or like a unique stance in it because I've gone through, I think, August. Yeah, August will be five years. So the show has been running for a moment, a a long time. But yeah, I've gone through like this uh, progression of how I specifically interact with the fandom mm-hmm. uh whether that be sharing my own content or just like how i throw my opinions into the arena these days i mostly keep my arena limited to what i put on audio and what i release on my rss feed like that's where i let my opinions lie i find that getting into the muck with perpetually negative fans or fans who maybe they're not even per- perpetually negative they're just forever looking for a reason to fight with you on twitter yeah that's such a soul suck, such a time suck. Like I'm, I got better stuff to do than, than to waste my time with that. But there was certainly a time where I was not above that. 
and wasted a lot of time in the comments and made a lot of enemies and had to block lots of people. Of course. Lost a Facebook page over it. Uh, you know, targeted attacks at a certain point. That's a whole other story. Oof. Yeah, it got ugly for a minute. Okay. What can I say? People really like certain voice actors. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's... Uh, I actually want to talk about that here with you in just a little bit, too. So Okay. Go, go for it, man. Okay. Well, um, not to change the subject too abruptly, but... Especially no, too. they go they go hand in hand. I yeah, think. exactly. Um, as a as a fan, and then some of these people too, I've had interactions with as a fellow voice actor, whether it's been a teacher mentor like uh, student relationship or whatever it may be. But when you hear about these allegations or you hear about things that somebody has done, not gonna name names. If people want to look it up, it's it's easily findable out there. You know, you guys what, know who we're talking about. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> you there's don't even, God bless you. Yeah, and there's some you know that say their own things or that support the people, you know, that did these horrible things. But as a fan and like, what is it like for you to process that information? Does it like tamper your fanhood as far as that goes? Does it give you any like just negative feelings towards the franchise or towards a character they voice? Because we've even heard about people that the voice actors and the voice actresses get threats based off the characters they voice because of something they've done. But I've, I'll be honest, I haven't heard of the reverse of it where the character gets the hate just because of somebody voicing them. Have you ever had that like experience, especially getting to know some of these voice actors that you've had on your podcast? Like, What's that like for you? So I'll say that I've never let an American dub actor because primarily I consume it in Japanese. Yeah. So, you know, sub versus dub, I'm always going to go sub. But I am very familiar with who these dub actors are, what their voices, you know, who they, who they are, what they sound like, whatever. But... Mm -hmm. I've never had my opinion of a voice actor influence my uh, decision on whether or not I like a character or not. Uh, but I will say with this particular person we're talking about, the character that they came back to voice was a character that I could have, you know, taken or, or left it. Like, yeah, yeah. Broly is not a very interesting character to me. However, being reintroduced into Super and given a much more sympathetic origin story and mm -hmm. just making him like a more enjoyable dopey ish kind of kid at certain points. Yeah. This naive, like real funny, but like tender, but like also badass. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a marriage of all these contradictory traits that makes you go, wow, I kind of like this guy. Also, he's wearing the ear of like this dead animal that helped raise him on this yeah. weird vampire bug planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best sentence I've said in a long, long time. I get, uh, it made so much sense <laughs> though. It made so much sense. I, but yeah, I've never had my own opinions of a voice actor influence my opinions of a character. Uh, or like my my opinion on like the franchise overall. Like, I'm, I guess, uh, adult enough to realize right. that these people are hired to do a job and that they are not the franchise and they're not representatives. Uh, I mean, I guess they are to a certain extent, but in my brain, they're not like the representatives of the story. I could enjoy the stories and the themes of Dragon Ball without having Sean Schemmel or Chris Sabat's voice attached to it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, Two voice actors that I actually really respect. Sabbath's the man. Oh, yeah. Shemmel was actually sort of rude to me in our interactions. Oh, uh, dang. Yeah, but you know what? I was kind of drunk, so I had it coming to me. I it's gotcha. Fun. I gotcha. <laughs> I, I caught him Sunday afternoon at a convention, and he was like, what's up, drunk kid? Like, what's up, Shemmel? You've got no line right now because I just caught you coming back from break. Now you have to talk to me. Gotcha. Uh but yeah, no, I don't think that stuff's ever influenced my my love of the of the actual property. I do kind of, 
I guess I'm wary of, of fans more these days. Like when all that stuff happened, that stuff, uh, as I will refer to it, it was the first time where I was like, man, this is like a politicization of yeah. a fandom before my eyes, a fandom that means a lot to me. It's not the first time it's happened to a fandom, but it was the first time it happened to a fandom that I cared, love, uh, you know, care about and love. So I just, I guess that kind of changed how I interacted with other members of the community. Understandable. And like you said, like social media, having that in the first time uh, to be able to connect about Dragon Ball with each other. It's, it's wonderful to have just uh, anybody be able to plug into that. But like, as, as wonderful as that is, it also has drawbacks and, and negatives, which is like anybody pops in, anybody has some BS that they can just spout off some hateful nonsense. People who are just looking for attention to stir the pot, uh-huh. like they've got no real stance one way or the other. Like amalgamations of all of those scenarios makes me want to say, you know what? Fuck Dragon Ball fans. You're out. Y'all are actually really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> it's, are you, it's, and it also begs the question, are you really a fan if you just if you're only here to stir up all that drama and, you know, throw all these things out there, like, are you really a fan or are you just trying to, again, be a troll and rile these people up to make them dump on something they love because you don't have something to latch on to? I mean, it's... Some some people just don't have anything better to do or that's how they seek validation or, you know, get their rocks off and it sucks. It sucks ass. And, like, I've certainly changed how I'm willing to be able to share my, like I said, my opinions or my content are limited to very specific arenas where I'm like, they'll have to actually listen to an hour of me ranting to get to my opinion and then tweet at me about it as opposed to me, you know, firing off a tweet. And then I've had like kids with multiple 10, 20 sock puppet accounts, just mass report and do stuff like that on Twitter and Facebook. It's dude. It's exhausting. I never want to go back to it. I'm barely keeping my head above water with the two podcasts, being a dad and a husband and, voice acting work all that stuff i can't even imagine having 10 other twitter accounts like that just that sounds like just tie an anchor to me throw me in the deep end i'm done i I can't even imagine that one kid we bumped into in that whole scenario and i wish i actually i'm happy i can't remember his name that kid sucked but he had a twitter account for every letter of the alphabet Wow. and when he got to the end of the alphabet he started making them with double a's double b's double c's so on and so forth man this this yeah. is such a strange time that we live in, but to, yeah, it sucks ass. <laughs> it, it, it's very unique to say the least. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to say that it does suck ass sometimes because it seems like it's just one thing after another still coming your way two years into a pandemic. Everything else is going on. Give me some good to latch on to, please. That's all I'm asking. But yo, we had some good coming our way in terms of Dragon Ball news. We had a new movie coming out in a couple yes. weeks. But then, guess what fucking happened, Flynn? The hack? The, the internet, man. The internet happened, and they hacked Toei, and they deleted some sort of digital assets of a bunch of different stuff, and now everything's delayed. Although, yeah. rumor is it's not going to be super, super delayed. It yep. could actually be out by, like, you know, the beginning of June. So that's And that's... I, an early yeah. birthday present for us and hell yeah for the love of god i know that by the time this airs hopefully that will already be out and i am keeping my fingers crossed praying trying to find the dragon balls for this please for the love of god let an english dub audition come across my inbox if my agent is listening please thank you but uh that's actually something what's, what's your what's your agent's first name um i've got a few out in la i can just tell you that the uh the logo for the company is a crown 
Oh shit, son, that sounds official. Yeah. Listen, agents for Flynn, get your act together and get him in and to or, a Dragon Ball audition. And or somebody we may or may not have already mentioned in this episode and his voiceover company that works with funny and now crunchy roll, please send that through. Thank you. Yeah, Ocatron, get your act together, <laughs> yeah. bro. This guy, yes, he gets it. <laughs> but speaking of, let's uh I want to circle back to the voice actor thing where you mentioned too, you know, like you can just plug somebody else new into a character role. At the time that we got in as fans, especially, we went through the phase where it jumped from ocean dub to Funimation and a lot of the voices changed. How was that for you, you know, especially as a fan and then even growing up like where it goes from Dragon Ball Z to Dragon Ball Z Kai and some of the originals and the OGs that we grew up with got replaced for one reason or another. And what is that like for you, especially when you get so accustomed to what you grow up with, you hear it and then you hear somebody new. What is that like for you? The toughest one. And I think it was like. Uh, Peter Kalamis to Sean Schemmel and then Brian Drummond to Chris Savitt. They're yep. like the two main ones, right? And I think Ian Ian James Corlett was right before, uh, was at the start of all the Goku stuff, and then it yeah. went to Peter Kalamis and then Sean Schemmel. It's like a little weird transitional one-by-one-by-one by one phase there. I remember the toughest one for me to deal with, for certain, like I never noticed the difference between Corlett and Peter Kalamis. Yeah, never. no, absolutely not. And that was That's Kalam- impressive to say. When, when Schemmel took over, and this is me as a kid, you know, I don't have like a, a firm grasp on how this stuff is produced or whatever. I'm like seven, who cares? But I I heard like a difference. I'm like, that's definitely a different person. And like, mm-hmm. I'm sensitive to hearing. I make podcasts all day. You know, it turns out I've had this skill my whole life. I'm a working musician for the last 15, 20 years. Oh, so nice. Yeah. So like my ears are like what I do. So mm-hmm. for me to have noticed that when I was a kid is not surprising. Right. Yeah. But the one that was toughest for me to get over hundred percent, Brian Drummond to Chris Sabat, because Sabat, he did this thing where he was like up here, but kind of doing a, And it just, it sounded like he was trying to do a poor imitation of Brian Drummond. And I'm not sure why, but since it's been, or, or become more of his own thing. I, I certainly prefer his performance to Brian Drummond. No offense to, to him. He's a of course a legendary voice actor, you know, but, and also a super cool dude. I, yeah. I bumped into him briefly at a convention once as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if it really like, cause like when I started getting into Dragon Ball, I got into it so heavy that, you know, eventually I found the outlet of these bootleg Japanese tapes. Mm-hmm. So around the time where, funny took stuff in house to Texas and out of Canada from ocean dub. And they brought on, uh, you know, well, it was Tiffany in the ocean dub too. I think, I think she, she was one of the been. ones, uh, that Chris hired after the, as they started acquiring the after. ocean dub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so like either way around the time that they brought all of that stuff in house to Texas was around the time I became like a, a Japanese hardcore fan. So the English dub became less important to me, historically you know that dragon ball z dub they did back then was pretty terrible dragon ball z kai they did an amazing job with that dub and i feel like they did a pretty solid job with dragon ball super as well Mm -hmm. but um yeah the the voice transitions from back then it's like it i can see why people would have specific preferences oh yeah but uh it's it's not as super important to me yeah and i mean i just speaking from like the the actor side of things from like the adr workshops and stuff i've done like I can't even imagine how they did it back then compared to now. 
especially like thankfully I'm doing it in a, over Zoom and not actually in studio. But you know the three beeps, you watch the scene and you try and match the mouth flaps. I can't even picture how those guys did it back then. So I mean, but it's it's clear to see that as it's progressed, the the consistency of the actors that have stayed too have been able to find those characters, like you mentioned with Chris Sabat, kind of finding the Vegeta voice that we all know now. And then being able to add the acting into it because you can tell the differences from when the transition happened to where we are now and just how the character development and the acting has developed and, you know, evolved over that time as well. Yeah. And actually a few about a month ago at this point, I got the opportunity to sit down with Monica Rial, yes. who a voice actress for Bulma. Mm -hmm. She took over for the OG voice of Bulma, Tiffany Vollmer, from yep. this era that we're talking about. She took over for her in Dragon Ball Z Kai. So I actually asked her about that transition. I'm yes, like, sir. how do you approach that? You know, do you try to do a straight up imitation? Do you try to make it your own right out the gate? And, you know, she kind of alluded to the same sort of thing that I feel like Chris did, but I just feel like Monica did the transitional piece of it better where she was imitating the person who did it before it and, and honoring what that performance was and wanting to keep some consistency with the character for the sake of the audience. Absolutely. Uh, but over time, like making it her own thing. And, and now if you listen to stuff that she dubs in, you know, 2020 or whenever the heck the last stuff she would have dubbed for Bulma is, it's much different than the stuff back from 2009, Absolutely. you know, but same voice actress. Yep. And it's, it, it's just an amazing thing too, because, um, not to name drop, but, you know, Sonny Strait, he talks about it, too. He's like, if you're going to be in the booth doing an ADR, you've got to have that character down because you're gonna, your mind is going to be going through other things. And especially, too, like you having the musical background, I've, I have it, too, and thankfully it saved my ass a time or two. But being able to match up the timing and everything, you've got to have the acting and have that character down to nail that. And, again, like, you can just see how Monica has gotten so comfortable from Kai to where we are now and made that character her own, too, where Tiffany did the same thing back in the day. But, you know, again, it's just you bring those that authenticity of yourself to that character and still honor the previous actor beforehand, too. It's a, it's a very delicate balancing act, I guess, is the best way to put it. But you can just tell how comfortable these people have become with these characters now in that complicated process, too. Yeah, man, it's like stepping into a second skin for them. I mean, yep. especially like some of the actors we're talking about. I didn't realize going into that Monica interview, man, like she's like literally the second most prolific voice actor of all time in anime. The only other person who beats her is like a Japanese voice actor. She's yeah. done more work than literally everyone else on the planet except one person. Imagine having to be able to step into that sort of mindset to, you know, take on a character to be able to match it in the boot. Like, absolutely, so many of those characters, man, that's that's a that's a tall order. Yeah, and that's and that's one thing when I found out, you know, like, because I hate to say I was ignorant about who she was until, like, Dragon Ball Super started becoming a thing again, but I look back at it now, and she's in so many different animes that I was watching in middle school, high school, and it's like, I didn't realize, like, you were this OG veteran in the business, like... You still seem so young. Like what? I, I don't know. Yeah, she is like she she started super young. Yeah. yeah. Like teach me the ways, please. Take me under your wing. Right. But so man, there's a lot more. So Dragon Ball Super Superhero that came up. Um, we've seen the leaks now for like apparently there as this comes out, we'll already know the answer. But there's been a supposed Raditz leak now or whatever it may be. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's real? Do you think it's fake? 
I'm going to press pause on that one. Yeah, I'm almost I'm I'm 99 percent sure that that's fake. Yep. Uh, for a few reasons. Uh, Raditz recently came back and not 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 Dragon Ball Super Superhero, but Raditz recently came back in Super Dragon Ball Heroes. Yep. <laughs> so there's a theme here somewhere with the naming of this. 100 percent. So uh, he recently came back in that and I'm pretty sure that top screenshot from that leak that you're alluding to. Mm hmm. It's a piece of that. It's uh, a different animation style than the frame that they have beneath it. Yeah, which absolutely. Is, I think it's uh, I think his name is Carmine. He's the red suited guy yes, with yes. The, the stupid hat and the sunglasses. Mm -hmm. uh, it, so I think it's very clearly a different animation style. But also it, as much as I would love the idea of them bringing back Raditz at some point, because I think he was one of the more underutilized oh, opportunities yeah. in Dragon Ball. Uh as much as I'd love that, it makes no sense to bring him back in a story uh, mm. anchored around the Red Ribbon Army. Like, no, I'm all about the fan fiction nonsense. Sometimes it can be fun, but like, come on, bro, let's keep it within the realms of possibility, you know? Absolutely. And then this is going to kind of lead. I got another question about the movie here. Just I want to hear your idea. And of course, again, by the time this comes out, we'll have all the answers. But I want to see if we're uh, if our predictions come true here with it being so red ribbon centric and a line of continuity possibly being between video games, uh, anime and movies. What do you think is the possibility that Android 21 from the dragon ball fighters franchise is the ultimate evil that they're trying to bring forth here? Yeah, actually that's my call because everyone is automatically uh, wanting to pick cell. Yeah. How could you not want to fan favorite? One of the few characters or villains from Z that did not make his way back to Super mm -hmm. Red Ribbon based army story. It sells the the easy layup common sense pick. But I like how you tied in the idea of the continuity carrying over from the video games because the last few video games that they've released, they've gone out of their way to tie Akira Toriyama to those games mm -hmm. and be like, concepts story done by akira toriyama yep. and in a lot of people's heads that means if toriyama is involved and he gave the okay that's canon that's yep. in the real dragon ball canon so the idea of her i think she premieres in fighters yes i then think i think she might have actually shown up in dragon ball kakara yes she's uh she's like in the capsule corp lab but she's in her lab coat as a human and she randomly appears out in the world in the fields and things too but yeah. Not as the evil, evil pink version. So that's that's the next part, right? So you get her as like the quote unquote ultimate weapon, the secret character that they're saying is going to show up in this movie. Mm -hmm. I love that idea. But then the movie can end on some sort of cliffhanger wherein, you know, she gets that pink form in the next movie yes. where she gets some kind of Majin possession or whatever it is. And then Broly and Vegeta and Goku all got to come back from Beerus's planet and help the new powered up Piccolo and Gohan kick her ass a second time. Absolutely. I, and that's, for some reason, that makes sense to me, especially because she also just had another figure go up for pre-order. So yeah. I, I don't Sick know. Sick looking figure, too. Yeah, exactly. But, man, see, I we're thinking the same thing here, and that's one that, since we booked this interview, I've been dying to ask you, but I wanted to save it for here. And, you know, going back to the continuity thing, especially... um. You know, it seems like, especially going back to the negative fan base or the, the criticisms, you know, that you see online, 
there seems to be a continuity issue with, you know, like characters like, let's say, Frieza. You see him in hell and he's his normal form. Then next time he's a cyborg, whatever it may be. Or they bring Broly back, but they completely erase everything from the movies that were in Z. Make him a new sympathetic character. Or even something as, you know, like just retconning Bardock and Goku's origin story, for example. How is that for you? I mean, for me... I try to look at it as just, I'm a fan, I enjoy it no matter what. Akira Toriyama's involved, and I appreciate that, but it seems like I'm kind of in a minority thinking that. What, do you, what are your thoughts on things like that? Yeah, it sounds like you have a very rational approach to appreciating Dragon Ball, and that you remember it's a Japanese cartoon made for 10-year-old boys. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. good on you, dude. Uh <laughs> I think in a lot of, I think it mostly, especially with the examples that you just provided, I think a lot of it would be done on a case by case basis. Like some of that Frieza stuff, the consistency of like what happens to him after he dies and then he goes to hell and then he's trapped in this little cocoon thing on a tree yep. with like a teddy bear par par parade or whatever. Yeah. Like I don't give a shit about any of what I just said. Who cares that it's the stupidest stuff in the world? I do like that he comes back around because. He was made out to be in Dragon Ball Z, the baddest motherfucker in the galaxy. Yes. I didn't mean to plan. I didn't mean that. But the rhymes just happen yeah. sometimes. No, no. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. I was going to let it go because that just, it flowed so well. But no, you're, you're exactly right. None of this right. is intentional. <laughs> uh, so yeah, for some, somebody like Frieza, it's like, whatever, dude, who cares? But you also said the one that, you know. It kind of got me triggered, man. You said you said the B word. You said Bardock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the stuff about Bardock that they've changed does drive me bananas because it directly impacts the things that I personally love about Goku as a character. Mm -hmm. uh, every single time you bring back Bardock to be like, actually, Bardock wasn't an evil guy. He was actually kind of cool. Actually, he wasn't a weakling nobody. He was actually... Uh, unusually strong for and, somebody in his low-class warrior race. And Nappa was his right-hand man at one point, apparently. Yeah. Like, every time you bring him back to try to be like, actually, you know you know why Goku's so strong? Maybe it's because his dad was strong. Every time you do that shit, it automatically takes away from what appeals to me uh, as a character from Goku's perspective of, like, low-class nobody, you know, didn't have any sort of leg up or anything. Uh, no, like, sort of genetic, uh, you know, disposition to be like this crazy good fighter outside of being yeah. a Saiyan, I guess. Uh, all of that stuff, though, he overcomes it anyway. And that's the story of Dragon Ball is consistently mm -hmm. overcoming your limits, yeah. your upward limits, right? Always improving. When you tell me it's because his dad was a swell fucking guy, it makes me wish his dad wouldn't come around in the comic books anymore. Like, get out of here, dad. Who cares? Yeah. So, I don't know. There are certain retcons that I honestly could not give any less of a shit about. But when it takes away from your main character, it's like, I, I understand wanting to utilize a fan favorite character like Bardock. But at the same time, be mindful of the overall cost to this. It's not like yeah. you're bringing him back in some non-canon fan fiction nonsense like Super Dragon Ball Heroes. Use him there all you want. Yeah, but absolutely. To have him be indirectly impacting the story these days, it's like, you know. Yeah. Goku is what he is, not because of his dad. However, I'm very excited at the the uh, prospect of him now that he's remembered his parents in this most yeah. recent uh, chapter. I'm very interested in the prospect of him wanting to learn more about 
maybe not specifically his parents, but you know, his race in general. Absolutely. And that don't uh, feel like wanting to learn from where you're from takes away from some of the stuff that I highlighted, like, you know, low class Saiyan warrior race right. coming from nothing. Like wanting to learn more about your people though. I think that gives Goku a whole new Avenue to explore where he'll feel less like a, static non-changing character and could go in some interesting directions absolutely and i mean especially too like you mentioned earlier in the interview tournament of power offers all these different universes you see saiyans in another universe and then vegeta still has a brother out there somewhere and who knows if anybody else is still floating around but you find all these different people you see the different personalities and how they're still different but similar and it just it gives you this entire world of I, I can't wait, and I do hope they go that way where he wants to learn more about his people and learn more about what hopefully drives him, and then it just... You know, I mean, like, there's so many possibilities there, and I guess it'd be a fan service for me if they did that. I can at least say that. You hit the nail on the head, though, and you mentioned there's a whole other universe with a planet of Saiyans out there. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I hope this is leading to. Like, I want Goku to leave this arc in a position where... He'll probably get the win. I don't know. I'd like Renoa to get the win. We'll yeah. see. But I would like him to leave with a curiosity about the Saiyans and being like, that's right. I made a whole planet of those guys. Let's go to planet Sadala and go hang out with them so I can get exposed to what the Saiyan culture is there because we have that opportunity. Yep. Let's go explore it. Frankly, I'm pissed that I haven't seen it yet four years after the possibility was floated. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. We still have to meet the king of the Saiyans in that universe. Yeah. Oh, man. Probably cool as hell. I, I would hope so. I would hope so. But man, and then we'll probably see uh Cauliflower beat his ass anyway, so that's I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if that's how it went either. So it I'm just, into it. It seems very fitting. But man, um I want to take a step away from Dragon Ball for a minute. I'm gonna come back to that to lighten the mood and uh, you know, round out the interview here, but I want to talk about the podcasting for a minute because you you've referenced several times, you know, about producing podcasts and you know, kind of steering the ship on multiple podcasts yourself. Like, just talk to me about how you juggle all of that and still find time to, you know, make a life, recharge your batteries, and just really not get overwhelmed with all that you have on your plate doing that. The secret, Flynn, is to not have a life. <laughs> <laughs> and I excel at that, dude. <laughs> oh, teach me the ways, my friend. Teach me the ways. <laughs> Yeah, uh, get rid of your wife, get rid of your kid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't do that one, and I hope she's not no. listening right now. <laughs> no, obviously, Flynn's wife, I'm <laughs> yeah. kidding. I would never advise that he actually does that, although I jest and laugh a lot. I live a miserable existence. <laughs> no, it's, um, it is a balance in a game for sure. Like, mm -hmm. at the moment, I uh, probably have one, two, three, four, five, I have, I have like six podcasts that aren't Ooh. mine. Yeah, it, it feels like a lot sometimes. And at the moment, they're in like various stages of either launch, pre-launch, mm -hmm. or rebrand. Well, actually, the rebrand's done, I guess, whatever. But the idea was like I spent so much time with Dragon Ball Super Dope. Like it started as just me and like two or three of my friends. We'd get beers on a Sunday afternoon. We'd watch the episode together. And we just talk and, you know, theorize like what's going to happen next week. And, you know, I put on microphones for it. Uh, and in those scenarios, like, I don't know how to set up microphones, what I'm doing. I basically learned to troubleshoot less than ideal audio scenarios to try to right, make something. Right. I mean, listenable. So 
it was a lot of trial by error and a lot of a lot of education by that kind of situation. You know, I felt the pressure to put out an episode every week. I know I know consistency is key with oh, podcasting. Yeah. You know, you make that agree uh, agreement, that arrangement with your audience, you know, expect an episode, you know, whatever day every week. You got to try to adhere to it. So, um, you know, rain or shine, man, bad audio, good audio. <laughs> got to give them something. I uh, got to give them something. But it eventually evolved into like I have decent audio post skills mm-hmm. and I thought that I'd be able to go out and find like freelance editing work through different freelancing websites and things like that. And uh, it wasn't as easy to find that so much as it was to find people who wanted to launch podcasts, but really didn't have an idea on on how or where to start or like what sort of equipment to buy or how to structure their content or anything like that. Yeah. So I sort of made, um, you know, my niche around that, like offering to, you know, sort of handhold people through that process and, nice. you know, what you're going to name your stuff, how we're going to do your art, what kind of music we're going to pick, what we're, you know, how we're going to try to promote your launch date, stuff we're going to clip for socials. But I helped them launch these podcasts. I probably launched like upwards of a dozen over the last three or four years. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's I've done a lot of work with a lot of shows. Um I haven't stayed on with all of them. Uh some of them have fallen off just natural pod burn or whatever. Yeah. Uh, other people have taken much more affordable in-house sort of like I launched one for like a venture capital fund in Los Angeles a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who were had all the money in the world but were definitely about the the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they found a very cost-effective solution in-house to get their podcast edited. But Oh man. Most shows keep me on board long-term to continue to edit, distribute, do show notes, stuff like that. And uh, it's it's interesting, man. Like, I've got some topics that feel like they would be the most boring subjects in the world. Mm-hmm. But genuinely, like some of the clients that I work with, no matter how much I don't personally relate to that subject. Like, for instance, I've got one guy. He is a financial planner specifically for optometrists. Okay. Who the fuck cares about that, right? I've edited 190 episodes of this dude's podcast. Wow. I genuinely come away with good financial advice or like mindset stuff. That's that, amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's specific for optometry, and he's made a lot of money with leads of people who were like, I listen to your podcast every week. I feel very comfortable with who you are and your strategies. I want you to invest my money. So that's sort of how I, you know, kind of think about how this, uh, sort of how I think about the shows that I make, like how can I extend the marketing funnel for these businesses to help them become, you know, established experts in the field, get their audience comfortable with them to the point where they're going to pick up the phone and want to do business with them. Man, I love that. And, we may have to talk some more off air, so I may have to hit you up on some of that for these podcasts. Hopefully, you can do something with some established ones as well. But that's, oh yeah, man, I'm all about that. That's so fascinating. Like, I, I, again, with such a specific topic, like you know, financial tips for optometrists, I never would have thought that would be something that could carry to 190 episodes of a podcast. Like, that's so it's amazing. See, it's a- Depends though, because a lot of it does depend on the host. I'm very very fortunate in that I have a very exceptional host on that show. Shout out to Adam Schmela, 2020 Money. Go check it out if you're an optometrist by chance. I love that Uh, name. It's such a good name. 
uh, we actually rebranded like 20, 25 episodes in, but uh, 2021 has been such a, a catchy, successful name for him. I'm very proud of him. Absolutely. Uh, so it does depend on like how you can continue to deliver some measure of value for every episode. Yeah. So like typically it's solving a problem or it's talking about a specific issue that's very commonly faced or talking to a subject matter expert in one of those places. And then trying to figure out what the good title for it is that'll hopefully get you picked up and, you know, search engine optimization and stuff like that. But uh, I feel like even though it's super niche, it's helpful in that, you know, exactly who your potential listener should be. Yep. And it's much easier to target those people. Like for me as a dragon ball uh, podcast, it's like, are they a dragon ball? That's going to, are they a, a dragon ball fan? That's going to be into the kind of content that I make. Meh. But with optometrists who are making routinely like, you know, two, three, sometimes up to 400 grand a year, depending on the place that they live in, in the country, they're always looking for financial planning advice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, shooting fish for a bat uh, in a barrel in uh, terms of finding who your perfect listener is, where it might not be for what we do. We're not as easy for what we do. Absolutely. I mean, that's again, that's something that I think is just so insightful, especially if somebody is also looking to start their own podcast, because I know it's become such a broad medium for a lot of people and there's a lot of content out there for everybody. So I think that's very insightful stuff that if you're looking to start a podcast or even looking to rebrand one, I mean, that that tells you a lot right there. So that thank you for sharing that. Absolutely, man. I'm happy to share. Like, seriously, I don't know how or why exactly podcasts became my obsession, but I think about them way <laughs> more than I should. A uh, lot of it's necessity, too, because, you know, I got to, like, balance six shows a week. So yep, there's that. But of I also listen to, I'll probably listen to, like, two or three, sometimes four podcasts a day. Yeah. In addition to, like, cutting one to three podcasts a day, depending on the day. Oh, man. So. I'm literally obsessed with the medium. I'm not saying it's a healthy thing, but I'm saying it's a thing that exists in my life. Absolutely. It, it keeps you going, though. That's for sure. But, man, let's – uh, my last question, and this is going to be before I turn the reins over to you, and it's going to be a two-part question here. I got questions for you, man. Yes, I am looking forward to that. But I'm going to put you on the spot right here. Who uh -oh. is your favorite character in the Dragon Ball franchise across all mediums from Dragon Ball to Super to Z to – you know, superheroes, whatever it may be, who is your favorite character and who is your least favorite character? Oh, least favorite character is a much more interesting pick. Uh, well, it's not so much a pick or so much as a, it's a much more interesting question because that's one I could like seriously gnaw on. I hate everybody. <laughs> but my favorite people, it's the, it depends on the day, man. Like, I'm naturally inclined to go Vegeta. Oh, yes. However, future Trunks, man, that first time I watched Future Trunks come back in a time machine and yeah. chop Frieza the fucking half and oh then blast his body up into nothing. God, yeah. I still remember how I felt, man. Yeah. I'm feeling it right now. I'm thinking about it. Talking to you about it. As I, and I'll be honest. As I just watched that last night, too, I'm, I'm going back and rewatching the series, and that's where I'm at right now, warning about the androids. But, again, kills a character in, like, three minutes that we got like a 30 episode fight arc about like that's supposed to be the baddest guy in the universe. And then here he is just hibachi. He's done. I remember watching that as a kid and being like, Oh my God, we're not done with Frieza yet. Who's this guy? Yeah. And then he just steps in and handles it in one episode. He's like, you think I'm badass? 
wait three years from now. The people coming to kill you are way more badass yep. than me. And I'm like, that's how you kick off an arc, man. Like you've given me stakes that I can rationalize because mm-hmm. I just watched like a hundred episodes of the Frieza arc. Absolutely. Way to throw me into the deep end of the pool. I love yeah. it. And that's when it took on that horror movie feel too, especially as the androids are here. But that's not the worst of it because here comes Cell and it gets that real scary movie horror vibe to it. And it just kind of changed the whole feel of the show, which I loved. So much to the point that they're releasing a video game. Yes. With Dragon Ball Breakers, where a lot of the test uh, footage that we've seen come out has been Cell running around Ginger Town. Yes. Sucking the life out of everybody. Sounds worse than I meant it, but I swear that's what he's doing. Yeah. And you have to be, be part of like a party of seven trying to navigate and like defeat him somehow like a party of civilians. Yeah. That horror movie thing that you just outlined is the one and only reason that I want to buy that game. And Same try it here. Out. And I'm just, I'm yeah. waiting for it. I'm counting down for it. I'm, oh, I can't even say it enough. Can't but. wait, man. But uh, also Goku. Yeah, like, of course. I, it depends on the day. I'm going to have to uh, default to Vegeta though. Same. I mean, that's, um, that's my guy. That's my guy regardless. Yeah, because we got a chip on our shoulders, man. We ain't have nothing handed to us. You chip, get it. Chip on the shoulder, tattoo on the calf, you name it. I got it. So there it is. <laughs> there it is, man. But that worst uh, character, that's the one that's got me intrigued. I'm I'm really excited to see what you say about that one. Yeah, man. I uh I really dislike um and Dragon Ball Super, like it's the most recent example I can think of of genuinely hating mm-hmm. a new character. Uh the character of Ribrianne yeah. from Universe <laughs> Two. <laughs> she was the gd worst man. oh my god i forgot i i wasn't even thinking about her but yeah i could see that one i'm gonna fight you with love and yeah i'm gonna I'm go- like i get it it's a parody of sailor moon yeah it's funny because she's a big fat chunky chick when she transforms into her powerful form she goes from this dainty little blonde beauty thing this french looking schoolgirl outfit to this big bug looking gray matter. Almost like a, almost lady. like the grimace from the old McDonald's commercials. <laughs> yes. It's like, dude, Grimace <laughs> works at McDonald's. Haven't you seen him? Oh, oh man. So Ribrian's pretty awful, but I'm trying to think like uh old character. I mean, Yamcha's an easy pick because he's just so perpetually stupid, but also I don't know, I love him. Yeah. Um I love Mr. Satan. Oh, so yeah. I can't. He's like literally one of my favorite parts about later Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. I think, am I really going Ribrianne right now? Who am I missing? I don't, I don't hate Bardock. A lot of people listening who are checking the show out from my feed probably think I want to go Bardock, but I don't hate him. I just hate how they utilize him. Right. I, I think I'm going, I mean, we're not talking GT. Well, we can throw Pan, GT in there if you want, but. Pan and Giru from GT are very annoying, and I just wish that they would have stayed on Earth. Maybe that would have been cool. I don't know. I think I'm going with Ribrianne. Ribrianne, you're the GD worst. <laughs> Full disclosure, though, I got to give props to Pan because I love Elise Bowman. She ad- she runs ads on this show. She's the best. So got to love. Not, it's not no, her it's not fault her. That, a, no. that Pan is annoying. <laughs> Pan is annoying in Japanese. Every language, Pan is annoying. It's the teenager phase. It's the teenager phase. But- yeah, and like also, she just cries a lot, and it's like, hey man, I've been watching you grow up since the age of four. 
And I know that you knew how to fly around the world at that point in time. Yeah. I don't think things are that scary for you right now. Please stop overreacting. It's it's the Gohan gene where the older you get, the kind of the more you regress after you do all these badass things. But yeah. hopefully we're going to re- get the reverse of that in this movie coming up. So we'll see. Fingers crossed, man. I'm really happy that they've aged Pan and subsequently Goten and Trunks up for this. Movie. Oh, it's absolutely. About time. Absolutely. And I, I am excited to see where that's going to go. But speaking of being excited... It's time to flip the roles a little bit now, uh, almost like a Captain Ginyu body change here. I'm going to throw it over to you, and I'm excited to see what questions you've got for me. So, my man, the floor is yours, and I am at your mercy. So, what's really appropriate about our body change, uh, body change moment here is that a lot of my questions are actually sort of mirrored versions of things that you've already asked me in this oh, conversation. Sweet. All that- right. Yeah, that you now have the ability to kind of answer back for me. But yes, uh, starting where you started, tell me how you got into Dragon Ball. What's your Dragon Ball origin story? Did you also wake up at 6 a.m. and turn on UPN? What's the deal? Man, um, it actually came into my life right around the end of fourth grade. I had a friend, uh, he was my best friend all through middle, elementary, high school. Um, he was real big into Dragon Ball. And he kept telling me about it, telling me about it, and... It took me forever to actually get on board, but man, like when he showed me that first episode, it was actually the um, the the fight with Raditz. That's where I got into it, and man, I I jumped in like right in the deep end, and I just remember getting my first two action figures. You know, the old Irwin repackages of the Bandai. It was the Goku and the Piccolo, and you yeah. couldn't you couldn't find that stuff back then. So that was like finding some rare stuff, and. You know, it just it scares me now that I'm adult with an adult with money and I can go back and buy this stuff now. But it's like I just remember finding it, falling in love with it, and then just wanting more of it because you either like had to wait up late for it to come on um, Toonami at night or later on Cartoon Network at like eleven or eleven thirty. Then it became the thing on Toonami at the four o'clock hour with the block they did there, and Yu Yu Hakusho was on right after. But it was just like everything that I loved. And, you know, like when you're the band kid in middle school, you're not considered one of the cool kids. Nobody really liked it. But, man, that was my thing. And that's what I looked forward to is like just getting into that and then having friends over to watch it, too, because they loved it. It was just like, man, like where was this like when I was younger to grow up with like Power Rangers or something? But it all just kind of I jumped in the deep end at the end of fourth grade. And that's where it was all downhill from there. (laughs) <laughs> Yo, I I definitely relate to what you're saying though. Like, yep. you find out that a couple of your friends are into it, and then all of a sudden you're having them over for like, uh, you know, watching it after school or whatever, mm-hmm. and you feel like some sort of exclusivity. Yeah, like you feel like you're in a club or something. Like you're on to something really cool that the general population doesn't know about. And thank you. Yeah, that helps breed you know this sort of infatuation that we absolutely. have. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And now it's now it's the cool thing because it's it's across all pop culture. And it's like, yeah, but I knew about this twenty years ago. Where were you? You know, like now I right. know everything about it. Come to me for the knowledge. I understand that pop culture has embraced embraced this, but did pop culture get bullied in the fourth grade about it? No, Probably it did not. not. <laughs> uh, so it's funny that you asked me about you know uh, which one I liked, which character I liked the least, which one I liked uh, you know the most, because I. I feel like the which character you like the least, it's always going to be like one of those main characters, Goku, Vegeta, yeah, Trunks, yeah. or somewhere in there, right? But I feel like a much better telltale sign of what somebody might like about Dragon Ball is who their favorite villain 
is. Who is your favorite villain from Dragon Ball? Because that tells me a lot about a person, dude. This is going to be so obscure. Like, naturally, I, I want to say Frieza, but, man, um, I've got a 1 and a 1A, and they're not exactly main characters, and one's even a movie character. But dude, that's I just, cool, man. They don't have to be main. They just have to be villains. Perfect. My my then my two villains besides Frieza are definitely gonna be uh, Deborah and Android Thirteen. Why? I can get Deborah without you having. Yeah. He spits on people when they turn to stone. That's yeah. badass. Demon, Demon King. Got to go with that. Why Android Thirteen though? That trucker hat wearing it weirdo. Was, man, it was just the. Uh, the badass delivery that he came in with, like out of nowhere in that movie. And he's sitting there, like he's watching it. He's watching uh 14 and 15, just handle Goku and trunks before Vegeta shows up. And then he just calls him out about it. And he just, it, it's almost like the villain that's speaking and makes sense about things. And he makes more sense than the hero, but it just something about that before he transformed, it was just him being that, Smart-ass dickhead redneck that really jumped out to me because it was like a complete switch from, like, the other androids that you'd had. And it's just... I, I don't really know any other way to describe it. And, again, it's just, like, the attitude, the voice. And then, of course, he also got that epic, like, uppercut into the dick on Goku. So, can't go yeah. wrong with that. And gave us that that eternal Team Four Star meme. Yeah. <laughs> the future Goten or something getting erased from the timeline. Yeah. He gets punched in the dick so hard. I forgot all about that. But yeah, definitely. It's a the gift that keeps I, on giving. Uh, I have a real complicated uh I have a real complicated relationship with Team Four Star as a fan. Yeah. But uh they've given us so many enjoyable, lovely, laugh out loud for forever moments that mm -hmm. We can just never turn our back on that one. Getting uh, a lot of notoriety among them. Absolutely. Um, so, sort of, uh, you're gonna have to tell me which one to go in the order of. W what did you get into first, podcasting or voice acting? Um, it was actually voice acting, and truth be cool. told, so yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Tell me how you got into that, and like what the experience, or like uh, what what sort of like the journey has been for you to get into that. Because yeah. I have a lot of friends who are interested. I, I think. I think a lot of people are interested peripherally. Absolutely. Peripherally. Jesus, that was a tough word. <laughs> but I don't think a lot of people would know where to start to try to break into something like that. Absolutely. And full disclosure, um, I as everybody knows by now, like I'm back in the wrestling world. Um, at the near the end of November of 2018, I had just kind of unexpected like I didn't think it was my last match, but I never re-upped my uh licenses to you know, the athletic commissions for the different states I wrestled in. I just didn't renew them because I had a kid on the way. We just found out we were pregnant with our second child and just kind of inadvertently hung it up. But I still wanted to pursue performing and just chase that bug, you know, get my fix on that because that was that's an addiction in itself. And I kept seeing this thing pop up for um, Steve Bloom, if everybody's familiar with him. He's, He's you know, the best. Yep. One of the voices of Spike Wolverine. Spiegel himself. Yes, yeah, Spike Spiegel, Zeb from Star Wars. Uh, that was the most recent thing I'd seen him in. And he was just offering this little 30 to 45 minute webinar about how to get into voiceover. I knew one of my neighbors up the street actually did it, and I, I picked his brain on it. But he's more on the commercial and narration side of things. So he was just kind of telling me what that was like. But animation and like 
Tiny Toons, Cow and Chicken, Dragon Ball growing up, South Park, The Simpsons, you name it. I grew up on it, and I was entertained by it. I was trying to mimic the voices and just do all that. So I saw this, and it's like, okay, not only do I get a chance to learn from somebody that works for all these major franchises, was the voice of Spike Spiegel and Cowboy Bebop, but he's also going to give me a chance to learn from all these other people that I, you know, grew up on and I get to sit under their learning tree? Hell yeah, sign me up. And I started doing that. I got some more information about, you know, like what kind of equipment you need, what kind of treating your space needs to happen, or like getting a, a booth like you see behind me right here, just something to you know, give you the best audio quality, things I never would have thought about beforehand. And then in the middle of that, too, I was also learning, you know, like, okay, I've got to up my game. I've got to get improv training. Any kind of acting experience I can get, I got back into live performance. I had musical performances throughout school for about eight years consistently. I just, I had all this different stuff, and then as I got into improv, that's the one I'm still doing, you know, outside of voice acting. I learned that the wrestling for all that time was actually helping me learn improv because a lot of what you have to do is on the fly and it, you know, something goes wrong or the crowd's not reacting. You have to react based off that. So all this stuff just started helping me figure out like, this is what I need. This is what I bring to the table. And then I started finding different coaches that, you know, have helped me kind of find where my voice fits in because I've always been the biggest critic of my voice. I hate hearing it back. I still do, but I've learned to love it at least, I guess, or like it might be a better way to say it. But, you know, <laughs> I've, I, I've learned to accept what I bring to the table and not just try and do the, the Sam Elliott auditions or try and do a, a cheap imitation of that. Like, I, I've come to find out there are these different niches that everybody has, and especially if you want to make a living in the voiceover world, you have to, you may want to do the animation, but your bills will get paid with commercials, narration, and different things like that. If you do animation, you know, and you get these big characters, you got the con appearances and stuff. You there's a lot that goes into that. And you know, like the journey has been a whole thing that has been easier for me to navigate having the wrestling experience. And full disclosure, I have a love-hate relationship with wrestling, mainly because I let's just put it in blatant terms. There are a bunch of shitheads that are allowed in there that people just turn a blind eye to what they do, or these are guys that hold on to their glory days that may not have even really been glory days and just try to make other people feel bad about it. Basically like the popular kids that peaked in high school, so to speak. But, you know, you learn who's there to help you, who's there to stab you in the back, who's there to just try and take your money. And having those experiences for so long helped me pick up on that in the voiceover world, even though it was at a minimum. And you're like, you'll find out like certain coaches, okay, I need to look at this when I'm looking for a coach because this guy that's telling me he can help me hasn't booked or done anything major in 10, 15 years, whatever it may be. Or this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not even, you know, like represented or whatever it may be. You kind of learn what to look for and what to, you know, who to gravitate towards to help you get to that next level. And one of the biggest things, too, especially because Jeff here with me has expressed interest, and he's actually gotten into the voiceover world now. Um, to sum it all up, if anybody is interested in it, by all means, go for it. And please go to D. Bradley Baker's website, IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com, 
because I could sit here and ramble for the next three hours or however long, and I still wouldn't cover everything. This guy has done it all in the business. He's a go-to guy in Hollywood for like different creature sounds and everything. He lays out everything you need to not only get started, but even things you need to know about as you get more experienced as well. And he basically just lays it out in layman's terms that's easy for everybody to understand. And that's the best thing I could say because I don't ever want to tell somebody not to chase their dream. Um, you just got to find out what works for you. And if you're a big self-critic like I am too, just remember the audition is the job. Anything after that is the fun part. That's where you get to have fun. And just because you didn't get a job doesn't mean you're bad. It just means you weren't what they were looking for. So you have to develop that thick skin. And thankfully, wrestling really kind of laid the groundwork for all of that evolution to happen for me as well. Because it's just a, it's playing the long game to put the long and short of it in. And you want to have fun while you do it. Obviously, I want to make it a full-time career. But it's not something that's going to happen overnight. So if you get into it, have patience. Have thick skin, be willing to take criticism and critiques to improve, and just have fun more than anything else. But, you know, always check out that website, IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com, because that will be your best friend. And I hope I answered that question with my long-winded rambling. No, man, I actually want to kind of underline something you hit on in there yeah. that I don't think you hit on enough, is the fact that while you're concurrently working on what you're looking to do as a voice actor. Mm-hmm. You're working on your wrestling stuff. You've yes. got that as a background. You're working on improv skills because oh yeah, all in all, you're trying to improve your craft overall. Absolutely. And hitting the pavement, you know, on every single voice over audition is great. Don't get me wrong. But if you're not doing other things to be able to help improve your craft in the meantime, in between mm -hmm. those auditions, it's going to be like banging your head against the wall. So absolutely. Uh, be mindful of like that incremental progress I'd imagine. That's it. And, uh, and just like, you know, make active steps to make yourself better. Like, absolutely. Sure. There are people out there who are blessed with like some sort of golden voice or, you know, a, a million voices, uh, like Mel blank. Right. But mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand that like that stuff does, it doesn't just happen by accident. Uh, you have to like actively work towards it in a lot yes. of different capacities to be great at what you do. Absolutely. So I think this kind of leads me, I, I imagine these two sort of go hand in hand a little bit, okay. but you started in voice acting first. Mm -hmm. What got you into the podcasting world? Honestly, it's, it was something I kind of just went back and forth on. Um, and I'll go ahead and tell the origin story of this podcast in this story as well, because it all just happened kind of so spur of the moment. But I've encountered so many unique people, especially, you know, again, it all kind of ties back to wrestling where I've been in locker rooms, I've been in cars, I've been in the ring with people that should have had these big breaks and never got them. Or I got acquainted with somebody like a Stephanie Nadolny who was, you know, the OG voice of Kid Gohan and Kid Goku, and, you know, she was doing all this stuff in the early 2000s, and now, like, you see her doing con appearances, but she may not be doing, like, the voice of Goku anymore, and a lot of people want to know, what happened? What are you up to now? Or, what's your story been where you didn't get that big WWE contract for some of these wrestlers? Or, what's it like for teachers that I'm friends with, or even my older brother, to try and teach, especially in the fine arts, when there's a pandemic going on, and... 
nobody knows what's going on from one day to the next. How do you manage all that? Like, what's your mental, what is your mental thought process like in all that? Because I, I got to a point because my job was considered, you know, like essential. I'm going in and out of all these high traffic places during a pandemic, not knowing if I'm bringing something home that may kill my family or whatever it may be. And this was back in the early days of it. And you just didn't know what was going on. Everybody was just so mentally burned out and negative that I thought it would be a good place for me to open up for myself as well. And I was like, I don't think anybody has really had a chance to talk to these people that may not be as well known as they should be. You know, everybody goes to the big actors like a Chris Evans or, you know, whoever it may be, and they tell their story. But what about these guys that were guys and girls that were almost there and should be there or help train somebody that's there now? Like, what's their story? What are they doing? How do they how did they rebound from all this stuff? And I always had that in the back of my mind to do it, but I just I never pulled the trigger. Well, lo and behold, with my nine to five job that I'm currently working, I'm a first aid safety and OSHA certified, you know, like first aid specialist, first responder, all that fun stuff. I happen cool. to be working at um, Opryland, uh, Gaylord Opryland Hotel, which is like one of the biggest hotels and convention centers in Nashville, and they had the podcast convention going on. I've last been year. there before. Is that where is that where you live? Yeah, I live like five minutes from there, actually. That's wild, man. I've gotten drunk like five minutes from there. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, you're right in my backyard then. So if you're ever back in this area, dude, let me know. Yeah, but, I definitely will. It's good to know, man. Yeah, they had and they had the big podcast convention going on there. And I saw a couple guys from uh, the wrestling world that have podcasts going on there. And I'm like, okay, I want to be at one of these conventions. I want to do this. And, you know, it was going to take me a while to line up guests, but I started reaching out to people I knew. And I was like, hey, would you mind you know, coming on and telling your story and, you know, like within the first night of reaching out to these people, I already had 30 guests booked and it was just a matter of like lining up who was going to go when and where and everything. And for the first episode, just because of scheduling, I just, I had my friend interview me and I talked about my struggles after, um, you know, after our first son was born and everything that was going on there. And then it just kind of, took off to the races after that so it's just a matter of i guess finally having some gasoline poured on a fire that was just sitting in my back pocket so to speak and it just finally took off from there and then jeff here had the idea when we were working as scare actors why don't we tell the story of what it's like to work in haunted attractions and you know like why, how do we get people involved that maybe want to get into that world but don't know how Let's talk about that and talk about what goes on behind the scenes to make this stuff happen. And that's kind of picked up from there, too. So, I mean, it's like trepidation at first because it's like I I don't know where I'm going to find this extra time in the day. But now it's become one of those mandatory things. It's got to happen. I want to do it. It's fun. I get to talk to all these interesting people. And, you know, by the time I come away from it, it's like no time has passed at all. But we've talked for an hour, hour and a half, whatever it may be. And it's just it's been a very fulfilling thing. That's awesome. What what is even more awesome though is you actually answered. I think anyway, uh, hypothetically, you've answered my next question before yeah. I even asked it. Oh dang! Um, yeah, no, like you just did a really great job outlining why you've started your shows and what you're looking to accomplish with them, right? But mm -hmm. my question is, resources are not an issue. All right, you can make a show about literally anything with anyone about 
whatever topic you want to make it about. I mean, what kind of show do you make and who do you do it with? Man, uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, because you could literally do anything at all. I thought about trying to get more specific parameters to help yeah. you out, but podcasting is beautiful in that way. You can Absolutely. do whatever the hell. I think one thing I would really love to dive into, um, and this covers all entertainment genres, whether it's on-screen acting, voiceover, you know, wrestling even. I would love to talk to the people that are like the casting directors or casting agents and find out what is it like what jumps out to you like what makes you hone in on somebody like you listen or you see and you know they've got what I want what is that it factor like how do you cipher through all that or how do you go through all these auditions until you hear what you're looking for like how do you hone in on that intangible it factor that we can't even put words to because it just varies from person to person how do you know when you find that I think that'd be something I would love to uh, be able to talk about with like just different casting agents about. Yeah. Like what do you look for to give indicators of potential future success? And absolutely. How, how do I hedge my bets for future success as well? That's it. That's it. What are yeah. your secrets so I can get on your roster, please? hundred <laughs> percent, man, man. I love uh, that. And, and I guess like the last question, because yeah. I know in our back and forth setting up the show, we're both collectors of things, yep. but we haven't had the opportunity to talk about collecting. What oh. sort of stuff is it that you are into collecting these days? What are you most passionate about your collecting? Uh, man, if only you could see my room right now. I've got a lot of it's hidden by the booth right here, but right now it's all kind of narrowed down to um, Dragon Ball and Star Wars stuff. At one point there was wrestling, but... I ended up having to, I just ended up selling a lot of that in my Funko Pops to downsize and turn my garage into a gym. But right now, it's all Dragon Ball and Star Wars. And then anybody that I've had, whether it's been like a teacher or just somebody that's been a guest on here that I've been able to become friends with, I've got a little shelf where if they've got a figure or something like that, I somebody as a fan made me a custom wrestling figure. So I've got them all kind of like up there on the shelf with me. So that's, that's kind of been it right there. And my wife will probably hate me for saying it, but I try to go back and get these things that I didn't get as a kid or that I did have. And my mom sold and now I regret it, you know? So it's yeah. like, I should have never been given a money as an adult, but that's kind of what mine is. But what's yours? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, my question before I give you my answer, what yeah. kind of Star Wars stuff? Is it like Black uh, Black Series? Black or? Series. Um, I've actually still got some of my stuff from a kid, like from the kid side of things. Like, uh, like behind... Power of the Force stuff that we got when we were. Yeah, yeah especially I... like the Star Destroyer from the fleet. That was a big one for me to have, and that was a pain to find again. But like Rebels was a big thing for me. I've got those gentle giant maquettes and a few helmets. But uh, those lightsabers, man, that they started coming out with for... Uh, the Black Series, and now like what they're doing at Galaxy's Edge, those have been cool to have because just the look and feel of those, man, it's just so badass that that's something that it's just cool to have on display more than anything else. I get that. Uh, sort of a humble brag, but the guy who helped with the park design of Galaxy's Edge mm -hmm. is an acquaintance of mine. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, his name is Eric Baker. 
Uh, he's a friend of a friend, really. But right, right. Uh, we we got to interview him on a couple of episodes of a podcast I produce. Nice. He uh, did the visual designs for Galaxy's Edge and for Harry Potter World. Wow, super dope, right? But <laughs> more like more importantly to us, probably, he was like the set designer for all the props on all the Nickelodeon shows when we were kids. Wow, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Double Dare, no Larissa joke. explains it all. So, like, Man. I get this guy into an interview on a Zoom call like this for this podcast. Yeah. First time meeting him, and he's like this older, you know, country gentleman lives in uh, West Virginia, the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, basically. and I'm like, wait a minute, you did all of this stuff? This sounds unbelievable to me. I don't believe that you did this. And uh, he's like, yeah, actually, uh, they have a um like a Disney Imagineer series short about me on Disney plus. They just put it up a few days ago. Uh, came out really well. T- take a look at it. I'm let me know what you think. And it's this dude like talk, like he's on Disney plus right now. Eric Baker, look him up. He's a really cool guy. Holy hell. I love him to death, but he talked extensively about uh, how some of the designs that he's put into place at galaxy's edge mm-hmm. have now influenced current star wars canon like live action yeah. stuff coming out because like the, you know there's like a bible to that extent where it's like yeah. we've got this existing here we got to pull it from there so like it was something minor like the the uh, exhaust port of like a speeder or something like that he's like i made that and it's going to be in this show and it was and <laughs> it was it was really cool whatever that is amazing that's, that's my humble brag of the day you brought up <laughs> galaxy's edge i can't help but bring that oh, stuff wait. up but I, I ain't holding it against you that's awesome what Dragon Ball stuff do you collect? Oh, man. I, I'm real big on the figure art stuff right now because it seems like you miss them. The price goes up on them. But immediately. Yeah, yeah. I have I have no plans on reselling. I just I put them out on display. I finally broke the habit of just keeping them in the box like they, they look so pretty on display. But I actually went back and bought all the uh the Irwin figures that came out when we were growing up, just the individual figures and With got the green card back. Yeah, uh actually no it's the blue ones that they started developing on their own that started with like Nappa and Raditz and oh, all those. Yeah. So when it goes from Irwin was the Super Battle collection. Yeah. Then they did AB2. Are you yep. familiar with uh, my friend Goshen? Yes, Goshen yes. She's Ford? actually, uh, I'm going to be interviewing her in, a, her in a couple weeks. So She is seriously the coolest. Yes. Like one oh of the best God. people you'll ever meet. But ask her about this stuff. She knows all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Super, super in-depth. But yeah, it was like Super Battle Collection stuff came over on the green card. Mm-hmm. Then AB Toys and a couple other, uh, one other one maybe from Mexico. Yeah, there were a couple of randos they in there. Went to Jack's Pacific. Yeah, they went uh they started doing their own and then like they did the movie collection stuff in there and like the you know, those random eight figures of the big Dragon Ball that they did where they came in those rectangle boxes and then they they got bought out by Jack's and I got a, a couple of those but you could tell that the quality just kind of went downhill on a lot of that yeah. stuff and it was like eh. but yeah. Man. I uh I I I'm sort of like getting back to what you said, like stuff that we, you know, either had as a kid that we lost or like wanted to have or didn't have. I'm a little bit of a sucker for that stuff. Like when quarantine first started first few months, like I was still employed for like the first eight months working from home, doing a recruiting job in the financial field. 
And I would just jump on eBay every night and be mm-hmm. like, what kind of lots can I get? What random box of Dragon Ball crap can I get from Homeboy's Closet in Oklahoma yeah. for $40? Exactly. <laughs> I loved it, man. Uh, that's cool. I actually, the only current stuff that like I collect, but I don't even think collects the right word because I don't get them all, uh, is the Dragon Star lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't trust myself with SH figure arts. Like they're expensive and I know myself where I'll mm-hmm. drop them and break them. See that, so. that was my worry too. And I heard the horror stories about, you know, like people would just try and get them out of the plastic and the arm would break or, or whatever it yeah. was. And thankfully knock on wood, haven't had that problem, but no, that, that was exactly my fear as well, because it's like, they're so beautiful, but I know I'm SOL if something happens and I can't get another one, you know, it's like, ugh. Yeah, thankfully they come with like six sets of hands for like $120 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Thank you, Ginyu Force. Yeah, right. Totally worth it. Absolutely. But those are my questions for you, man. I appreciate you oh. taking the time to uh, kind of give me the opportunity to turn the mic back on you and give me of a little course. bit more background about your experience. Of course, dude. And I appreciate you taking the time and, again, being patient through the audio and technical difficulties we had at the beginning. But Man, this was a blast and a fun interview, and it did not disappoint in the least. So, needless to say, man, the door is wide open anytime you want to come back on. That that door is wide open, and you are welcome anytime. Super appreciate it, Flynn. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't think I'll be coming back soon, but when I do come back, I'm coming back with a vengeance, singing the good word of Dragon Ball Super Superhero, maybe? Yes, yes, sir, I think so. Yes, the next time we get together. I can't wait to chew the fat on that one. But guys, in the meantime, I want to thank Kyle for coming on here tonight. I want to thank Jeff for working his wizardry behind the curtain over here. And most importantly, I want to thank all of you for continuing to support this podcast. Like I said in the beginning, if you haven't already and this was your first episode... Go back in the archives. Get subscribed. We've got over a year's worth of episodes back there for you to dive into. Got more Dragon Ball talk in there. Different voice actors throwing in their stories from their time behind the mic in the booth. All that fun stuff. So go get subscribed. Leave a five-star and a written review on your preferred platform if you think we've earned it. Go subscribe to Tales from the Haunt if you're into all things spooky. And then go get connected with us on social media and get the word out there for all that. And then go check out some other podcasts in the Give Me Back My Podcast Network as well. There's something out there for everybody. And most importantly, don't forget to go check out Kyle's podcast that we're going to have links to in the show notes because I guarantee if you're a Dragon Ball fan, you're going to love that as well. So go check out the Dragon Ball Super Dope podcast and give Kyle a follow as well. But man, for myself, for Jeff, for Kyle, we want to thank you all for tuning in tonight. And we'll be back next week with another awesome episode. So in the meantime... Go nerd out on some anime, go do some good in the world, go have some fun, and get caught up in the archives, and we'll be back next week with another awesome episode. And I know you hear me. I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.